Welcome to Thinking Past Sunday, where we discuss everything from theology to giving a biblical perspective on things of the unknown. As believers ourselves, we hope to interact with believers and non-believers alike, answering questions and giving insight into things not typically discussed in a Sunday morning service. Let's go! All right, here we are. Welcome back to Thinking Past Sunday. I got William with me, Jesse, hello, as normal, and then we have Hayden back from Kentucky. He was on episode two, I believe, and that is William's son. So today we got a couple questions we're gonna we're gonna jump into, and we're gonna try to hit two uh, in one episode and see how that goes. But uh, yeah, we just want to jump into it, or. Yeah, just read the question, I think, probably. And move on? Yeah. All right, let me find it. I don't know why I closed it out. All right, question one. My name is Josh, and I am from West Virginia. After listening to your episode on spiritual warfare, I was wondering if any of you have had any experiences with God that you would consider supernatural or unexplainable. I would love to hear your stories if you have. So that is the question. I have a couple. Jesse, you said you have. I got a couple. Couple, and I don't know about William and. Uh, no, I'm. I honestly, first of all, we need, we have to clarify. And first, thank you, Josh, for your question. I appreciate you you listening and your yes. interest in taking the time to write us. It's it's encouraging to us, so appreciate that. But I think we have to be careful to define what we mean by supernatural, because if by supernatural you mean ah natural or not natural uh, or above the natural world um then no i can't say i have but in in many ways i think any experience with god is supernatural yeah it would have to be yeah be, uh, yeah. because you know he's the as carl bart says the holy other mm-hmm. so he's uh, any experience with the other is you know beyond natural um so in that sense I think all believers have had a supernatural experience with God. Yeah. You know, it, it it it's not natural um or it's not least in this physical world in which you know the Holy Spirit indwells us. That's not a natural thing. Right. Uh that's a supernatural thing. Um but a but a reality nonetheless. So um but I haven't had any anything in my life where I felt like God suspended the rules of the physical universe and so for me that's that that i think is what uh most people mean when they talk about supernatural mm-hmm. that the the normal rules of the physical universe in which we live have been either countered or suspended or contradicted in some way yes um and by the by the power of of god and and we'll talk of you know had so had some thoughts on on that further when we get further into it but that's that's thing i want to be careful of is that we need to define what we're talking about right yeah Mm. so um and and in that regard no i don't have any well not really i guess i do i don't know have you ever had anything hayden not that i can think of or not that i would label as such uh but i think my initial concern is just as you said to define our terms what is it that we're talking about? Because there are really there are two words in the question that need to be uh, looked at. And that is supernatural or unexplainable and experience. Yeah. Uh, because, now granted, and we don't know 
uh, what Josh was at the. Mm-hmm. Yes. We don't know what Josh had in mind necessarily. Uh, it could be a whole scope of things, and so uh, one of the immediate clarifications I think that needs to be made is the recognition that we have a tendency in the modern evangelical world to think of things like miracles in a very unbiblical way. And one of the ways that we look at it is we are unwittingly actually applying an Enlightenment era, actually a a, a definition for miracles that comes from the likes of David Hume, who scholars might disagree, but at the uh, uh, at the surface level, was definitely no no friend to the Christian faith, um, and the the language of what is a miracle, and I think most of us, and and myself included, would be quick to say a suspension of the laws of nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Hume. Mm-hmm. Prior to the Enlightenment, there was a different way of understanding of because if you think of what are the laws of nature uh and i mean as as christians we are all we all recognize the creator creation distinction that's mm-hmm. that's definitely there but all things are actively and always being willfully suspended in their existence by god at yeah. the at, at at a baseline, that is an act of God constantly mm-hmm. through all of creation. So right off the bat, we have to think: okay, so a miracle has can't just be God acting in nature. It can't be just that because it, He's always acting. He's in always nature. acting. Yeah, in every nature. Yeah. Okay, yeah. right, right. The the whatever event or process you're looking at, it's not that things don't follow natural processes and and. See, even even I have to use the term natural, um, but those are all dictated actively by God's providence and His sovereignty, His lordship over creation, and so we have to refine our definition of something like a miracle, if that's what we mean by uh, by experience. But that's something that we can circle back to. But those are the immediate thoughts that I have: is that we, we need to be cognizant of defining what do we mean by experience Mm -hmm. and if we mean something like miracle okay well we have to unpack what is a miracle uh and i'll go ahead and say that i don't think i think that most people throughout history have gone their whole lives without ever seeing a miracle and most will go their whole lives without ever seeing a miracle and i mean by a biblical definition of miracle, but that's something that we can circle back to. Yeah. Because um, some of it could just be an imprecision of language. Yeah. Which is like, oh, well, we call this miracle. Well, it's, it may not actually be. Yeah. Not that there wasn't something that was a godsend in a way mm-hmm. or some, a way that we recognize God's provision in our lives and we, we, in our thankfulness, attribute the term miracle. Yeah. But I, I wonder if that's just an inaccurate word to put on it. But uh, I, I, I don't want to derail well, it know, right off the beginning. You know, in his question, he referred back to the episode of spiritual warfare, and we had discussed the whole uh, experience I had, and then you discussed an experience that your wife had, Jesse, of, of the basically this what they call sleep 
paralysis right. that seemed very what I would call supernatural. Yeah. You know, on a dark sided sense. So maybe that's what he's kind of referring to is um if we have any um experiences on the spiritual side that's not on from the the dark like what we had discussed on the previous episode, I don't know. I know with me, um my the I have like I was telling you guys, I've ha- I have like a handful of different things I could go on, I could tell, but I'm just going to stick with one. Um and uh we probably will all have differing views on this experience and that's that's fine cuz that's what this podcast is for. Me and my friends when I was I was probably 19, 20, we would once a month we would go on a road trip to see a friend in uh, Cape Girardeau. It was a good at that time before they did road construction. It was like five, five and a half, half hours. So once a month, we would all gather at my friend's house, um, meet up there, and then I would be—I was always the one to drive. So we'd load up and we'd take off for the weekend. Before we would leave, every single time, we would always pray for safe travel and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, usually, I call it. Baptist style praying because we would all stand in a circle and hold hands and pray that kind of you know <laughs> yeah. and usually that's what we do we just you know his uh, my friend's parents would join in with this and there was usually three or four of us and then his parents and we would we would pray well one day before we left we were we were praying and then his dad went and his dad is a was a pastor at the time went and got a vial of anointing oil um, and he, you know, got some on his finger and he, this is in his kitchen. This isn't a church service that's all hyped up or nothing. This is in his kitchen, real chill. We're just praying. He lay, he put his hands on me, anointed me with oil. And this, it's just something I cannot deny that happened. And it, it changed me honestly, but he anointed me with oil. And as he was praying over me, the, the only way I know to explain it is the oil. It was almost like having warm oil poured over your head and just completely running down your body. And from head to toe, once it, like I felt it moving down my body. And once I got to my feet, I could not stand. I fell. I laid on my back and I just laid there in prayer. I wasn't out of control. I just laid there and just. I just talked to Jesus for probably 20 minutes, and uh, he prayed over another friend of mine, and the same thing happened. And so that's an experience, whatever you want to call that. I know there are terms um, that I had, and I I cannot say that I didn't have it or I was mistaken because it was very real. But since then, the fragrance of frankincense and myrrh, because that was the fragrance of the oil, uh, anytime I, I smell that fragrance, I always, I always think about Jesus and I always, it draws me into prayer. Just, just that, you know, that, just that, that fragrance. And, um, so that was that. But then a couple of years ago, my wife was having some, we had a health scare and I believe it was you, William, and, uh, a couple of the elders, we were over by the soundboard at church, and you, everyone laid hands on her, mm-hmm. and we're praying over this health scare, and I was there, and the, and I st- I can't explain this, but 
once again, I can't deny it either. It, while we were in prayer over my wife, this the fragrance of frankincense and myrrh was overpowering in my nose. So much to the point that I contacted the elders afterwards to ask if they had anointed her and I didn't notice it because it was there. And none of them had. And so the only thing I, the only way I feel that I can take it is that that was God just saying, hey, I'm, I'm here with this. Just giving me that comfort because it's my bride. And I was very overwhelmed, very stressed out. And like to the point of whenever we found out she was okay and it wasn't what we thought it was, like because I had been carrying that weight on my shoulders, I broke down like a baby just bawling. Mm -hmm. So that's how I took it was God just kind of showing me, hey, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with her. And so that was that's my experience that kind of, you know, kind of tied together with that, that whole fragrance situation. And it amazes me. It's not something that, you know, I didn't start, uh, you know, when that happened in my friend's kitchen. It's not something where I was like, oh, I got to have that more. Or it's not like I was it, it didn't throw me off in the sense of getting me off track with my walk with God. It, I feel like it brought me closer to him because it was it was I would I would call it an an intimate experience with with Jesus it, but it's not like I started going to a charismatic church afterwards or whatever looking for the, these experiences it was just something that happened it was beautiful and I I went on my way hmm. so that's my that's my my one story um, I have others but they they tend to go some of them are should have been told with the previous episode because I've, I've had some experiences where <clears throat> I felt that there was evil very close to me oh, yeah. in, a, in a darker time in my life, and I, I felt like I could physically feel that. But anyways, that's, that's my story for Josh. Hmm. And like I said, I'm sure we will all have different, maybe different views on what that could have been or might have been, and that's, that's totally cool. I wasn't thinking of terms uh in terms of spiritual warfare i hadn't heard that episode so i didn't oh, okay. realize that that's where the direction that the question was going i was just guessing since that's the episode yeah. he had mentioned no no that makes sense i should have looked at it more carefully what about you jesse so i just looked at it as a general you know uh it's supernatural something outside the realm of normal um but i i touched on this on one episode but i'll, I'll go a little I'll, I'll talk about it a little more. For me, it was a, a miraculous he healing. Whether you want to call it miracle or whatever, at the end of it, I'll, I'll let you all decide. But um, I had gone to an emergency room because I had been having headaches every day for over a month. Mm -hmm. And then I woke up and I couldn't move my neck either. Uh, so I had this headache and I couldn't move my neck. I couldn't. So I went to the emergency room. Um, I'm a big, I don't, didn't take the whole family. I just went by myself, checked into the hospital. Uh, doctor came in, was really concerned about, uh, the headaches being repeating and often. And so they went in and they did an MRI, uh, of my head and they came back and they said, um, you need to probably call some family in because you're probably going to have brain surgery today. 
you have a aneurysm in your head. Wow. So, got on the phone. This is the day before everybody had cell phones. So, mm-hmm. um, got hold of uh, my grandparents who went and got my dad. My dad went over. I didn't even have a phone at the house at the time. Got my wife. Steph got on the phone, got, got to a phone and called my pastor and started some people praying. And it turned out my pastor, when he got the message, he was actually in the hospital visiting somebody else. So he came over, prayed with me, told me that, did, you know, everybody at the church was praying for me. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> you know, I really should take comfort in that. But right now I, I just don't feel comforted. Yeah. But to, Which is understandable. I mean, you're yeah, I, talking I, about going into brain surgery, yeah, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they came in and they said, hey, look, you, we need to map how we're going to go through to fix this aneurysm. So you, we have to do another MRI. Mm-hmm. And this MRI, you know, they're going to do with uh, a dye. Mm-hmm. They're going to shoot They're gonna shoot dye into my head uh, so they can map out exactly their their path through my brain to get to fix this aneurysm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess so I got a little bit of time to just be in a room by myself before my family gets there and stuff. And I actually, like my dad went to his dad who my grandfather lived a very long time with an aneurysm in his head and an aneurysm on a kidney. And they couldn't operate on either one because they're afraid the increased blood flow from fixing the one would rupture the other one. Wow. So he lived years with two aneurysms that they, they just refused to do anything about. Yeah. But, but you know, and I know later that my dad went to my grandfather and was just like, I'm going to lose my son. So there's all this heavy burden, everything. Uh, they started prepping me for the, um, the MRI and stuff. Well, we go into the MRI and they, they start shooting the dye in, which is a, unholy experience in itself because that stuff when it hits your brain is just fire yeah i would imagine it's just it's like somebody dipped some type of liquid fire and shot it through you and it hits your head and it's mm-hmm. like just unbelievable but at the end of it you know they put me back in a room and about 30 minutes later a, a doctor came in and goes hey you want some good news i go i'd love some good news right now I'm thinking he's going to tell me that the brain surgery is not going to be as major as they thought, or they're going to be able to do. He comes in and goes, you don't have an aneurysm. It's gone. He mm-hmm. goes, I don't have an explanation. Uh, he goes, but there's, there's, there's no aneurysm. When we shot it, when we went through with the dye, it's not there. Uh, another doctor, uh, a specialist came in later and goes, well, look, what an MRI does is it kind of like takes little sections of pictures and then puts it all back together. Yeah. And the pictures just didn't align right or something on the first one. Uh, so, you know, he was trying to give me a medical explanation of why. And all I could do was sit there and think people that don't normally pray in my family were praying and people that, you know, I was miraculously healed that day. You can say what you want. Yeah. You can... I went from thinking about brain surgery to here's a couple of muscle relaxers to get your neck fixed and uh, you're good to go. Yeah. And your your symptoms also went away after that as well. I remember yeah. you saying in the last the episode that you had mentioned this was that your symptoms like 
Yeah. All gone. All gone. All gone. Headaches were gone. And it was like unbelievable for me to be there and be like one minute facing brain surgery and the next minute. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. That would be a comforting experience at the end anyways there. Well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, and you... One of the things it did for me, and what was clarifying to me for the, through that experience, to me, I was a baby Christian when it happened. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I realized God did have a plan for me, and I started taking Bible study study really, really seriously, and and being able to focus on just the gift of the Holy Spirit and how He works and intercedes for us and stuff. So, I mean, and it wasn't too long after that I got to start. Uh, pastoring at a local truck stop and stuff like that. So it was like, you know, it really felt like, you know, God worked through me to accomplish goals that he had. That That is cool. What are you, uh, William, you're over there writing and stuff. You got anything going through your head? Well, I'm just trying to, um, well, a couple things. It, it's always possible, I suppose, to articulate some medical reason for for these things but the the fact is god does heal people um i'm not i'm not sure we can claim it and insist that he that he does so um by the strength of our prayer or our faith in other words um you know i've jokingly said it's like uh the movie um santa claus where you know santa's sleigh can't fly unless the children believe enough mm-hmm. and kind of gets it in the air so you know it's the what do they call it the belief meter or whatever that he has in that movie where they're waiting for the kids yeah. to believe anyway so i don't, I don't think miracles it, by in by that i mean i don't think healings of bodily ailments mm-hmm. happen as a result of a certain level of belief you know getting the belief meter high enough so that yeah. god can act i think god does that at his own discretion and his own will and in some cases, um, and the problem I think we run into uh, is when we expect that, yeah, then we lead people to a position where they they are very often going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I say that not because I don't believe in prayer, not because I don't believe God can do that, um, but I say that because the very reason we find stories like that compelling is because they are outside the norm. Yeah. Okay, so normally, God doesn't do that. And if if we tell people and teach people that if you had enough faith, God would do that every time, mm-hmm. then how come normally he doesn't? And the only conclusion you can come to is, well, then it's your fault because yeah. you didn't have enough faith. And that's not—I I don't think that's biblical, and I don't think that's um, a position that we ought to be trying to put on people. And it's very mm-hmm. common— yeah. Two. I, I worked with a lady who she had uh, cancer, and it wasn't looking good. And her church, uh, uh, Romanian church, uh, that was what they like. She things weren't getting better, and they put it on her and said, "Well, you don't have enough faith." Right. And I mean, that was horrific for her to even like. Hey, thanks for the encouragement here. I'm, you know, I'm I'm dying and. And I'm so I'm sure that her her prayers were right. sincere, right? But yet, you know, she has other brothers and sisters saying, "Oh, you just don't have enough faith." 
it's like, well, no, that's kind of crappy. I mean, well, and and I've said it before, and I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but um, faith, we we there are all kinds of terms that we toss around in mm-hmm. in uh, the Christian life, and they're important terms, they're important words, um, but I'm not sure we always use them appropriately or yeah. accurately. We talk about faith. Okay, faith is not a mental conviction of a specific outcome. Yeah. Okay, it's not the mental belief that God's going to do A, B, or C. I mean, there's going to be this outcome, and my the energy of my own belief in that outcome, mm-hmm. we call that faith. No, yeah. That is not faith. Okay, faith is saying, you know, I do not know what the outcome's going to be. Yeah. I'm praying for a specific outcome, but if God chooses to do something else, my trust is in Him and His character and His goodness and fairness and His sovereignty, and I will and I will walk on, even sometimes trembling because I don't know what's gonna going to happen. Yeah. Well, that's not lack of faith. Yeah. That's that is true faith to to you know bear up and you know continue to believe in God, mm-hmm. but not in God's doing. If that makes sense, you yeah. know what I'm saying? It's not an outcome. Right. Did you want to say something? I was just going to say that through all these experiences and conversations, Scripture has to be the standard uh, by which we understand all of them. And your remarks about it's not a matter of believing enough, of mustering and conjuring up in yourself a, a particular level of conviction about a certain outcome. And I think Scripture shows that quite seriously uh, in, in Mark uh, when, the, uh, when the man came to Christ whose son uh, was horribly ill and Christ was, uh, well, he, he had just gotten done uh, in, w- with this father's request admonishing, or not admonishing, but uh, kind of getting on to the apostles about their lack of faith. Yeah. And he acknowledges the man but not because uh, oh, oh no it was he was demon possessed actually so this this is the perfect example uh, for for a lot of the conversation uh, his son was demon possessed had been uh, as, uh, horribly almost paralytically uh, demon possessed uh, his the, the the boy's entire life and uh, the apostles were not able to to uh, exercise the demon they had been able to in the past but this they could not this one mm-hmm. and. That caused the father to begin to have doubts. Well, if his apostles can't do it, can Jesus? Yeah. Can the man himself? I mean, his his followers can't. And that's where we get uh, probably one of the the better known statements from Scripture. What I believe, help my unbelief. So you have there. I have faith. I do have. I do believe, but it is wavering. It is not. Mm-hmm. It is not strong enough. Help my unbelief, and if and I think that shows. Okay, Christ is going to be uh, both the origin and the perfecter of our faith. Yeah, he is the object and perfect perfecter of our faith, and it's never going to be enough. If if you can speak about it in quantitative terms, anyway, mm-hmm. right? It's never going to be enough by yourself. And if it were, we'd all be in huge trouble yeah right yeah from everything is uh i mean by comparison as trivial as a demonic possession to as eternal mm-hmm. as salvation 
right? Christ must be the perfecter of our imperfect faith. And if we're going to rely upon, uh, if it's incumbent upon us to, to, again, to conjure up enough trust and hope uh, in spite of present circumstances, it's going to be a problem. And so I think Scripture illustrates it just in that one example. Mm-hmm. Scripture definitely illustrates the uh, the concern with that kind of thinking. Um, one thing that I, I did want to circle back to uh, with, Jesse, with your story, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I was just thinking about it, that I do think that the reality or presence of medical explanations doesn't negate the working of God in it. Right. Uh, and I think sometimes I have a tendency to fall into that thinking anyway, that if someone's going to be healed, there can't be a medical explanation. And I, I don't think so. I don't think those have to be mutually exclusive. I, I especially, and kind of going back to what I was saying about how we understand the idea of miracle laws of nature and the things like that, that if God is present and active in the world always, then... I wonder if there are many instances of healings that have occurred providentially through, if, if we had the means in some of those circumstances, uh, that were providentially decreed that they would happen this way, that this person would be spared this disease, this ailment, this, um, uh, uh, this medical problem uh, by, uh, by God's will in that way. And that is no less no less uh, uh, an act of healing by God. No, you're, you're right. I, I think, uh, kind of drawing from, from church history, uh, Zwingli, the, uh, uh, the reformer, was spared the plague. Right, so <laughs> at the time that if plague hit your village, it was going to take a great number of you, and very, very, very few people survived if you got it. I don't remember off the top of my head what the mortality rate um, was for the plague, but he was spared. And he recognized that as the Lord has spared me from this horrible, very deadly disease and understood what you were saying for a reason. Yeah. And he went off in, in, in his way, uh, uh, lived for that reason as, as, uh, uh, as much as he could. Um, but I just, that, that's, that's a, just one example that I can, that I can think of. And I'm sure that there was technically some medical explanation. It was like, okay, the, the antibodies and, and, uh, white blood cells in, in your body were able to, to deal with the plague and that's great. Yeah. And, but that is no less an act of God in that. No. Right. Right. That, yeah, that's, that's true. That, that, that is a providential working of uh of god in your life for for a very real uh or for a very significant and real purpose so yeah. i i just wanted to throw that out there that yeah the, the yeah medical explanation doesn't have to negate which i think is is a potential problem for both the believer and the non-believer sometimes believers come thinking well there can't be a medical explanation and Non-believers will sometimes approach it that because there is a medical explanation, right. yeah, then we know that this God of yours was not involved in any way. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here awkwardly in the middle saying, no, <laughs> you're both wrong. <laughs> We're both operating from a false set of assumptions about what it means for God to act in nature. 
and what it means for us to have experience with that. Yeah. Um, so th- th- those were just some thoughts that I had. Look like you're well, prepping just, something just, there. Well, I was thinking about, you know, people talking about faith and your lack of faith or you're, you're cut, you're, you're healed because you're great faith. Uh, going back to my story, one thing I do want to say is I personally never prayed for a miraculous healing. In fact, I didn't even think it was like something that was was an option. I didn't think it was an option. Right. Yeah. You know, I really didn't think it was something viable for me to call upon. So to have experienced that was great. But I think one of the way, one of the, one of the places that people take your, your faith is how God acts is in, uh, Luke chapter seven. Uh, I'm going to take it down to verse nine. It says this, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd and, and, and that followed and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those that had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the story of the Roman centurion that comes to Jesus and asks for his servant to be healed. And Jesus says, take me. And he says, you don't need to go. Yeah. You know, I'm a man of authority. I understand how authority works. If you say go, one goes. And if you say come, another comes. He goes, I understand all that. If you just say, if you just say you'll be healed, I know it's to be true. And Jesus talks about the man's faith and that nobody that he had even came across had that level of faith. So I think that's one of the places where people kind of bend that out of, out of, out of, you know, what Jesus was saying there that you've got to have so much faith for it to be, to, to work. Because right. Jesus never went to that servant, but the servant was healed. Well, we had in, in in that story. I think it's important to notice that um, he did not have faith that that Jesus would do it. He just had he just believed in Jesus. Right. He said, "If you say it, I know it's going to happen. If you say it." Right. But he's not saying, you know, I know you're going to. I know you're going to say it, um, because for most Christians, I at least I like to think that. Um, and, and we don't articulate it this way because it becomes a much more troubling question if we were honest. Um, we believe God can, right? Yeah. I mean, that my faith that God can or could is, you know, uh, absolute. Mm-hmm. Um, as C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Problem of Pain, you know, we all know that God can. All things are possible with God, right? He can. And I think the, the the centurion understands that Jesus has the authority, and he can, and he's just asking him to. And if Jesus had decided not to, then he's still Christ. It doesn't change the character of, of who he is, um, nor does it change necessarily the centurion's faith in who Jesus is. And I think that's important. We We have faith in God's character and who God is not his performance because but if we articulate it that way sometimes in many situations it leads to the the deeper question at least in my mind of god you could yeah why didn't you Hmm. you know that's the tough one uh, to me uh, because to know that god could heal but he doesn't sometimes yeah well um, often yeah well as i said normally yeah he doesn't I mean, by definition, it's 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 not uh, you know an out of the normal story for uh, the Lord to choose not to heal. Right. Yeah. Uh, but He always has a purpose in that, and we we can't see the purpose, but it 
you know, our faith is in 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 Him uh, again, not as His uh, performance. Yeah. So. Another point that should be mentioned about that story in Luke, we might be tempted to focus on the wrong part of that about the uh, the marveling of Christ. I think Christ was marveling at two things: the faith and the person that it was coming from. Here you have a Roman centurion, a Gentile, the oppressors of Israel, and he recognizes the authority of Christ before the people of God are recognizing the authority of Christ. And so Christ marvels and says, nowhere in Israel have I seen faith such as this. I, th- I, th- I think that's the big push there, it is, is that you have... Uh, you have a Gentile acknowledging and recognizing, at least to some to some degree, the authority of Christ before the people who were supposed to. <laughs> and that's, and I, I think that's one of the reasons that Christ marvels. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and this is even after he's called disciples to himself, and they right. walked away from their careers and their livelihoods to follow Christ. Christ still, like you said, marvels and commends this man because he says, you know, not even, you know, so he's basically telling not, the, the disciples at this point, not even you have as much faith as this man. Right. It, it's not going to come until later. I mean, they, they, they saw and understood enough uh, to, to follow Christ, but that the, the proclamation of who Christ is, and, and I don't think the centurion is going as far as, as Peter will eventually go. When he asks them, who do you say I am? And and we get that first uh, recorded acknowledgement from Peter that you you are the Messiah, you are God. So um, I don't think it's that the centurion is going as far as Peter would eventually, but they right. haven't gotten to that point. They haven't gotten there right, yet. Right. They, but he was first. You know, so. Right, right. Uh, something that I wanted to kind of go back to look at the question a little more specifically uh was the question of experience right uh what do we mean by this Mm -hmm. term experience and i think we should always tread very carefully for a number of reasons one this this can be an incredibly divisive question yeah and i certainly don't want to say anything i don't think anybody wants to say anything intentionally to agitate or offend those uh closest to us and and for anybody listening always keep that measure of grace in mind when having these conversations because it's bound to happen though right right (laughs) right uh because you can't because the word experience has built into it an undeniable quality Mm -hmm. in fact you you said it yourself concerning your your experiences i can't deny it Right. I can't say it didn't happen. And by the way, neither can I. Yeah. Or anyone else. Yeah. And that makes that that puts it in the realm of a very difficult area of conversation. How do you then go about having these conversations? Mm-hmm. And I think that if we we set a few uh givens that scripture must always be the standard. Yeah. By which that that we hold as the highest authority. And that's important because we we live in a world today where the question of authority has shifted. So during the Reformation era, it was, 
it, it, that question of authority who who has authority is it the the parish priest mm-hmm. the pope the uh the the king right it, it, where where is the authority or or is it you with your bible which was a which at that time was a rare thing just because for a number of reasons you know, that they weren't as in print many people couldn't read uh but as especially whenever you have the printing press on the scene and those things are getting more in the hands of people and and the, these questions are being asked who has authority who has final authority and that was the question that was being asked then the truth of the matter is we're asking the same questions today who has authority but We've entered into a time where now authority is my personal experience. Yeah. And that is, can at times be very frustrating because, as as I like to say, once you throw the God card. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying you there. You can't, without sounding like the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. You can't say, well... No, no, he didn't. No, yeah. right. You, you automatically say, and 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 there is a degree to which they're right when they say, "Well, that's my experience." Mm-hmm. Okay, that that is true. The question is, are you interpreting that experience rightly? That's a different question. Yeah. Not did you have this experience, but is it what you thought it was, and does that align with scripture? So when we think of experiences, I. I keeping those things in mind that scripture must be the must be the authority to address the question who has final authority and your personal experience uh, who whoever it is is not the final authority yeah and we have to for ourselves and for others we have to submit ourselves to scripture in that way so I yeah just, it, it, and we do we've got the cart uh, before the horse a lot um, mm-hmm. in particularly in in certain um, denominational traditions um, more modern in more modern times of I, I interpret scripture based on my experience yeah and that's exactly reverse of what we need to do we need to interpret our experience based on scripture yeah because um, that that leads us to well, where we see much of the church now, you get into issues of, uh, of, of morality and feeling and um, very emotionally evocative issues. And and I'm not saying, I, I've never said that people that, uh, and this it seems like it, it always comes back to this, but it's because it's such a powerful movement in our society right now. I've never been one to say that, uh, you know, people involved in a homosexual relationship don't genuinely love each other yeah. or don't have emotion and feelings and, and it, because that's their experience and they do, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure. Uh, but you can't take that and then say, well, we have to go back and then make sense of the word of God yeah, and then change it somehow or, or find a way to make my experience, my emotions, my desire, all these good things That I feel I have to make them fit or make the Word of God somehow fit that. Yeah. What we have to do is we take the Word of God and say, Are my feelings and my emotions and my actions, are are these proper? Are these okay? Are these good? Is this what God intended? Yeah. And then we've got the cart before the horse a lot. And 
I, I'm surprised in so many instances that I, I personally know of where um, people have a particular position about some issues um, until um, it, it, it hits their home. Yeah. Okay, or their child, their grandchild suddenly um, announces they have these, you know, feelings and predilections and so forth. Um, and then I, I, I'm just surprised by the number of mature believers who will just suddenly say, well, now I have to go back and rethink the Word. Now I have to go back and rethink the Bible. Yeah. And how do we know it's really the Word of God? How do, you know, are you, you know, are we sure that, and so, because now it's, 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 you know, it's an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And so they go back and, and you know, like I said, that, that leads us back to what I was just saying. We, we have to allow Scripture to be, or what Hagen was saying, we have to allow the Scripture to be um, the rule. Yeah. You know, uh, not make it fit our experience, which we tend to do. I suppose, at, the, at least for myself, I feel like we're kind of dancing around some, some of the issues. But I, I'll ask the question. What does an experience with God mean? That is a term that in the Christian community we are pretty quick to throw around, I would say. Mm-hmm. I had an experience with God. Wonderful. What does that mean? Yeah. And it's not an unfair question. Yeah, if it's a meaningful statement, I think it's fair to it's fair to yourself to ask yourself that question. What do I mean by this? Mm-hmm. To to speak in a very, and and it, do you mean visions, audible voices? Yeah. Are you oh. talking about strange, uh, using the language of the question, unexplainable manifestations of of what we would consider supernatural events, mm-hmm. and objects floating in the room, glowing, right? Uh, I mean, I'm not just pointing that as a thin air. These are, you know, these are at least some of the things that people yeah. might talk about. So what do we mean by sure. an experience with God? Let me let me give you let, let me do this other this is not my experience. Um and I'll tell the story and then uh, I'll reveal whose it is here shortly. Um nineteen ninety young lady has gone to some church events with some friends. Uh her parents don't go to church her parents have a very distorted version of uh, who God is. They they believe in God, but it's not really the God of the Bible when you really break it down to what their belief is. But she finds herself now with a, a hunger to learn about the Word. So she asks for a Bible, uh, and her parents are, let's just say, a little on the stingy side. Mm-hmm. Um, she asked for a Bible and they finally get her a Bible after several times that they get her a, a, a Bible at the dollar store. So she gets a Bible and she doesn't know where to start reading it. So she starts at the beginning. She starts at Genesis mm-hmm. and she promises to read the Bible every night and pray to God every evening. And she starts reading through. And by the time we get to December, she has made it to Romans. She is tired one night. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to put some facts in here real quick that I, because I know the situation she had recently 
been hurt by a, a, a number of guys, um, personal relationships that went bad and stuff. And she goes to bed. This is early December. She's going to bed. And she's like, I didn't read the Bible tonight. I didn't pray. She's like, I don't care. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. And then she feels so much before she not hears, you need to get up and pray. And she's like, nope, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. I'm going to sleep. I'll do it tomorrow. Then she hears softly, get up and pray. And then again, she hears Stephanie, get up and pray. And she finally gets up. Cats out of the bag, I said her name. But (laughs) she gets up, she prays. And she realizes as she's been reading through the book of Romans that she has no relationship with Christ. And she gets out of bed and she prays and she confesses that she's a sinner and there was nothing she can do about it except for to rely on what Christ did on the cross. But before she gets done praying, she goes, God, I, I, I got it. I'm, I'm, I'm saved, but I've been hurt. And I don't want to be hurt anymore. Could you bring the love of my life? Can you bring a man that won't hurt me who will take care of me? And like two weeks later, there's a dance called Holly Ball uh, for for the high school that we went to. And she had an ex-boyfriend that invited her out. And she didn't want to go. And her mom, her mom who never really who never really encourages her to do anything, encourages her to go to this dance. And she's like, Mom, I don't have a dress. So her mom actually goes and gets a dress, alters it, makes it fit her, you know, does all these things to convince her to go to this dance. Mm-hmm. So she decides she's going to go to the dance. The guy that she's going with doesn't drive a car. So he gets some big dumb guy to drive them to the dance. <laughs> and... At the dance, it's a, it's a, she finds herself actually kind of falling for the ex-boyfriend again and, and really feels like, you know, that, that, that might be the answer to her prayer, mm-hmm. that, that this guy is going to be different this time around and stuff. Um, and the big dumb guy, his date has spent the night pining over another guy and like has had a miserable time. Yeah. This is, this, this guy has had a rough night. And at the end of the night, uh, her ex, the, the Stephanie's ex-boyfriend says, Hey, just do me a favor. Go over and dance with Jesse. He's had a rough night. Go dance with Jesse. It's the last dance of the night. She comes over. She dances with me. And, uh, yeah, I'm the big dumb guy. <laughs> she dances with me. And she she's sitting there. And she hears, there you go. He's the one. And she's like, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, needless to say, by January, we were dating. We've now been together for over 30 years and married for yeah. 29. That's cool. So, um, that was her story. And, you know, I sat down, it's actually two pages worth of notes that, you know, <laughs> but, you know, as we were talking about this and we were, I was preparing, she's like, you know, I've had that. I've had that where I've heard mm-hmm. God speak. And, you know, but it was about praying to him and it was about scripture and it was about her salvation through him. That's really, I was like, I'm going to tell the story. She's like, okay. 
I was like, you know, you're really good with it. She's like, yeah, I'm good with it. So this is my wife's story, and this is my story, part of my story, because ultimately it took many, many more years before I came to salvation. Yeah. But her being an example of a great wife, even though we were unequally yoked, and the Bible says she shouldn't have done that. Luckily, she hadn't got to that part by the time she met me, but of reading through the Bible, um, you know, her her willingness to model that to me and God working through that led to my salvation. So that's cool. Uh, with, since we're trying to squeeze in two questions, is there anything in closing on question one that I like your, I like that story because you said, and you know, your, your, um, experience with your, your healing, you were a, a baby Christian at the time. Yes. And then, so, he used moving through your wife for you to find him, and then, or I shouldn't say you found him, he... He, 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 he called me. He called you, but you know what I mean. And then, so, and then it was just like, it kind of, it's a whole cycle. So, I, that that is cool. But in closing on question one, is there anything... Because this is for the listener. This is going to be a long episode. Right. Yeah, I, well, we're at an yeah. hour, and oh, we'll probably really? we'll probably okay. hit probably two by the time we're done with sure. question I, two. Yeah, I just had one. Yeah, real quick uh, closing remark, and there's plenty more that could be said. I yeah, mean, you you could have a whole podcast itself dedicated to this question. In mm-hmm. all honesty, and I want to try to speak of it in as general terms as possible, as as general but as universally applicable mm-hmm. as possible. Because if if you try to go lower than that, you deal into the all the yeah, but what about this, that, yeah. and the other, and that that would be very difficult. So in Christ's farewell discourse, mm-hmm. when he is speaking to the apostles, and that that's that's key. Uh, He says in John 16, uh, verses 13 through 14, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, a couple of things I want to point out. First off, these verses do have application to us, Mm -hmm. but he is speaking of a unique authority that is being given to the apostles. Yeah. uh, Which we come to know as apostolic authority. We can't speak with apostolic authority. When the apostles died, that the apostolic authority in that way died with them, but what then did we have? Scripture. Yeah. And... We know this because towards the end of Paul's life, Paul is not far off from execution, and the apostles are dying. Well, they're not; they're being martyred. And he knows that this is a problem, and this is in Second Timothy. Mm -hmm. He knows that this is a problem because the apostles are dying, and already false teaching is working its way. It's working its way in. And you can feel the urgency that Paul writes in Second Timothy, and specifically in Second Timothy uh, one verse fourteen, he admonishes Timothy, say, "By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit 
entrusted to you. So by the Holy Spirit, do this. Guard uh, the deposit, the good deposit entrusted to you. What is the good deposit? Scripture. The Holy That is uh, what, what we have with coming to the close of the canon of Scripture. The apostles are gone. Mm-hmm. But their truth remains. So, why is that significant? So, the, the words of Christ do have application to us. We don't have that authority, but we do have the, uh, the, uh, the complete, and I mean complete in that it's sufficient. We have the sufficient record of God's word to us. And if it is sufficient, I would just say that all experiences, if they are of God, come in through and by Scripture. Yeah, they come in through and by Scripture, and our hearts and our minds are illuminated to those things by way of the Holy Spirit, uh, who works in tandem with Scripture. So now there's a lot more that could be said about that, and you could probably get into the uh, to the what ifs and so on and so forth, which is why I liked uh, I liked your story, right about uh, about Stephanie because she was in Scripture, yeah. and the conviction of her heart. I am not saved. I can't deal with the question of my sin, my guilt before God. How does that come? That only comes by one way, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit in Scripture. So, And, and I think yeah. that's some—and the reason I say that is that it is popular. I, uh, well, I'll go ahead and, and, and use names. There's a very popular teacher, Priscilla Shire. She's uh, a teacher— uh, and and also a uh, actress. She she was in the movie War Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the uh, the mom in War Room. Okay. In an interview or for like a promo thing for one of her th- uh, uh, preaching tours, I, I hate to use that word for her, but that's what it was. She would describe. She said, "I was I would spend so much time reading this great God uh, of of the Bible and the Old Testament, and and she says to the fact I needed more." I needed to experience God more. Well, I'm sorry. If you are reading Scripture with the Holy Spirit and you feel that you need to experience God more, you've missed it. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Because we can only say with assurance, thus saith the Lord, if it is coming from Scripture. Yeah. Nobody can ever say with the same level of authority and assurity, God has said, unless you are reading from Scripture. Yeah, that's what our preaching professor used to say. The only thing you can be absolutely, positively sure um, that God is that God is saying in in your sermon is when you read your text. Yeah. Okay. That's infallible. Okay. Everything else is suspect. that you add is is. Well, hopefully it's it's true and accurate, and God uses it, um, and that's our goal. But the fact is, it's it's open to possible error, mm-hmm. and when, that you know. That, but that's just the nature of you know who we are, right? But, and that's what I mean by suspect. I don't mean that that somebody's trying to deceive or you know, no. Be, I just mean that that they can't have the same assurance. And we have to because this kind of they seem like uh, distinct. Or uh, unrelated questions, but our second question this sort of segues, yeah, into this, or this sort of segues into the second question. If you want to um, read the second question, uh, because I think it's, you know, that what I was going to say is is 
germane to the first question and and the second question. Okay. So the second question. Yeah. Um, we'll uh, we'll get to it right after. Oh, okay. Right after this, sure. and we'll be right back. All right. You're listening to Thinking Past Sunday. If you have a question or topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, call or text us at 417-319-4380 or email thinkingpastsunday at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and be sure to subscribe, share, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Now let's get back to the show. All right, guys, uh, on to question two. Hayden, you want to go ahead and read that? Yeah, I got it here. It says, first-time caller, long-time listener. From episode three, you guys talked about the Bible being written for the young church. How do you know when to take the Bible at face value or when it's talking to the young church? Okay. Wow. That's a good question, um, and, and it's an important one, particularly uh, when, we, when we talk about... Um, matters of uh, doctrine and, and church polity and Christian. I mean, it just affects, well, everything, because everything we do is supposed to be based on Scripture. Um, and I don't know who, which one of us said that the uh, Bible is written for the young church. I have a stra- strange suspicion it was me. Um, and because I think it was me, what might have said it, uh, I'll just say that's, that's a little bit of a, uh, a short-sighted statement. Yeah, because the fact is the Bible uh, was written to the young church, but it was written for the church, the church, which is still with us, which will always be with us, according to Christ. So um, while it is written uh, to the young church, and hopefully that's what I said, not that it was written for the young church only, Mm -hmm. but it was written to the young church um, for the church and, and the distinction it sounds like they're the same thing but they're not um because we have to remember that what is written to the young church is a particular historical cultural context and in, in all of it but yet the principles particularly ones where scripture itself identifies an eternal basis for that mm-hmm. okay then then you know we can make a distinction between what could arguably have been a, a cultural distinction which we no longer have, and that which is is eternal in principle, and so we have to uh, we have to remember that. Which, you know, we have to define. I think too what we mean when we talk about scripture. What makes it unique? And one of the things that I discovered, much to my chagrin and, and surprise, um, was I had church members who um, misunderstood. What I meant, because I wasn't clear enough, um, what I meant when I used the phrase that the Bible is inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, because apparently uh, the way a church member took that was to suggest that it's inspired in the same way that a great uh, painting might be inspired, or a great song is inspired. Yeah. Um, and and actually what, that that's... Great paintings and songs, by the way, are not inspired; they're inspiring. Right. So that's that's a different story. But um, but we don't mean that in 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 biblical scholarship. You know, when we say the Bible's inspired, we're talking about something very specific. We're not talking about just inspired like Mozart was inspired, or you know, a, a great painter. We're we're talking about when it's inspired. It is God breathed. 
It is literally God through human um, agencies communicating exactly and precisely his words, his thoughts. Yeah. And, and it is inspired in the sense that um, the Holy Spirit uh, speaks through these men, but it is truly God's thought, God's words. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, that view, uh, just Rick, go ahead. that view is called the plenary verbal, verbal right. understanding of inspiration, the plenary verbal. And not everybody holds that. I, no. I, I'm, I'm well aware of that. That's, that is the view we hold, that I hold at, at uh, you know, and, and I think, um, I, I hope and pray that, that most of the members, uh, or all the members at, at our church yeah. would hold. Uh, it's certainly our official position, as long as I'm uh, pastor. And so, you know, every word is what God intended to be. Now are the translations and, you know, um, yes, and we don't have to get into all that. But my point is that is a very specific thing when we talk about Scripture. It, yeah. it, and that's why, that's why it's authoritative. And in the previous episode, Hayden made mention of um, the apostolic inspiration uh, as they wrote Scripture. And that was left to us right, uh, with that same authority. Which is why I struggle a little bit, um, to be honest, and, and, and not that I don't believe that people hear the Lord, because sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to me, uh, and I think many other people, so profoundly that you would say something like, God said to me. Yeah. Now, did I hear an audible voice? Sometimes I feel like I don't think so, although it was powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was driving down the road one day and there was a hitchhiker walking the other way. I was going fishing Mm -hmm. and I felt like, I mean, God just impressed on me to, I need to, to reach out to this guy and, you know, pick him up. He's going the other way. And so I talked to myself in the car anyway. I talked to God in the car. It was just me and God. And so I verbally, you know, I said, nope, I'm going fishing, (laughs) you know, well, instantly. Okay. It was not a verbal thing, but instantly the passage that came to my mind was, I will make you fishers, fishermen of men. That's what, exactly what I'm like. Oh, don't, I'm, and so I'm arguing with God. Yeah. But every time God responded, quote unquote, um, to me, it wasn't verbal, but it was a scripture. It was a scripture. I yeah. said, Lord, I can't do anything. Well, what good does it do him if you tell him to go and be warned, but you don't help him? Yeah. You know, and so every time I would tell God I'm not doing it out loud, he would respond. The, the Holy re- Spirit would, but it was Scripture. By the renewing of your mind. But yes, uh, you know, so I, I, I struggle when people say, and, and I have friends that do it, I, um, and, and I'm, not, I'm not denying it, okay? I'm not, I'm the people well, you didn't hear that. You know, I, I can't say that. Well, as Hayden mentioned in a previous episode, uh, your experience is your experience. Yeah. But it is a struggle a little bit, because what we're talking about when we say, God said to me, yeah. And it's something really not found in Scripture, but it's, it's very precise about your situation, okay? Um, God said to me, and then fill in the blank, that is direct revelation. Yeah. That is God speaking without mediator to, your, to you, not through Scripture. I mean, that's, and I struggle with that a little bit because that, that's putting what God said to me on par with Scripture, you know yeah. what I'm saying? That's yeah, yeah. Like these are God's words that He He uttered, like sort of whispered in my ear, and I'm, I I I don't know that God does that. Well, um, I say at, at risk of making a stronger statement, and I'll go ahead and preface it with that: my views don't necessarily reflect all those at the table. I reject that. 
If somebody well, is, let's be clear. You reject my rejection. I, or you, no, no, no. <laughs> I no, no. You said you said it makes you uncomfortable that whenever somebody right, says I, it makes me that that there was a, a there is a direct, um, not not mediated through scripture, which mediated through scripture sell scripture short because that is the word of God. But, right, right. But that's true. yes, but that's that, true. There, that that there is a direct communication from God to you. In uh, sometimes the way people speak about it, such that they say, God told me. Now, I don't reject that the Holy Spirit and the renewing of their mind in Scripture, they have, they were, and we use the word impressed to do this, Mm -hmm. that, or the other. I don't reject that that happens. What I reject is the way that they speak about it and possibly the way that they think what has actually happened. What I reject is the idea um, that on level with a prophet, there has been communication from God, revelatory, and that's I think that's the key word, revelatory communication from God right. to you. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, yeah, that, sure. that is, um, and if that's the case, I, I, I uh, in one of my seminary classes, there was a young, young man who disagreed with me quite strongly on mm-hmm. this, because he had lots of stories and experiences of words of knowledge. That's, that's often the phrase that is used. Yeah. I had a word of knowledge about this person's sickness, this stranger's ailment, and and the God and God told me mm-hmm. to pray specifically for his feet or something like that. Yeah, and it got to the point where I had to tell him. I said, "Do you do you think that that was a revelation from God directly to you in your mind?" He said, "Yes, I do." I said, "Okay." Ad- admittedly, this was kind of smart alecky. This is not an encouragement to do. I was agitated already, but I said, okay, I want you to do me a favor. Get out your red pen, get your Bible, <laughs> open to that blank page on the back, and start writing. Yeah. And look at me like I had just said the most absurd thing. Because if that is revelation, yeah, it needs to be in your Bible. It needs That is now on par with Scripture. Yeah. You, you just received the inspired word right you know that that's and i think probably a more uh two things a a more gentle question and a more convicting question whenever we think about these these experiences that we all have right as christians with the holy spirit we have things that we know that god has uh now the language i use is providentially led us to to do, think, and say, Mm -hmm. we all have these things if we have the Holy Spirit. That's absolutely the case. So how ought we think about them? There was a question posed in, I want to say it was in in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which is not the best systematic theology that's that's out there by any means. I disagree with him on, on a number of things. But he posed this very, very convicting question. And he said, if God were to speak to you in an audible voice right now, from the heavens, spoke to you in an audible voice. Would that be, for you, more convincing, moving, and authoritative than the words of the Bible? And he said, if your answer is yes, there's a problem. If God were to speak to you in an audible voice, would that be somehow more convincing and authoritative for you than the words of the Bible? And and I sat, I read that, and I'm like, Oh, ow. Kind of, cause, because at some level, we, 
I, I think we we sell scripture short. In, well, in that, yeah, in that capacity, yeah, yeah. In exactly in, that level. That's and uh, um, but I know that that wasn't exactly what the question is. So, but the question is: so now that we've looked at uh, that, scripture is. Uh, yeah, scripture is authoritative. It is and, and inspired. Kind of like... um, oh, oh, one thing I did want to clarify about the idea of the plenary verbal view of scripture. If for those of who are interested, the more extreme version, which I do not adhere to is called dictation theory. Dictation theory is that those who wrote Scripture, God conveyed to them just as a dictator, or just as a dictation would be every word, syllable, letter, and this is exactly what I want. Uh, the wording, the, the phrasing... This is exactly how I want it. Plenary verbal says it is everything that God wanted and still allowed mm -hmm. for the writing stylistic choices of the author, the personality of the author mm -hmm. to come through. And if you read Paul, that is definitely clear. Right, uh, right. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't think – yeah, I'm not, I don't hold to a dictation. No, no, I didn't theory. say that I you just, were. I was just saying that there's a, there's a range of understanding right. of what is meant by inspired, but – Plenary verbal is is the one that you espouse is that right. that these men um, were were fully under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But right. and now, I just see that as you know God's providential care of His Word. Oh yes, I mean He prepared all those men to write exactly what they did, but He used them to do it. But yeah. He He knew and you know He He was providential in what they wrote. Right, right. You know, even though they're different. I mean, right, right. Stylistically because, and so forth. Well, not just stylistically, because because uh, Matthew. In his reflections and writing uh, of in his gospel, it's very uh, had a very different goal in mind. I mean, not right. very different right. end goal, but had a very different approach. We had than, a different audience. Well, a different, and that's what I mean. He had a different audience. He he was concerned. Okay, how do I relate this to the Jews? Right. Uh, then, say the Gospel of John, which is the most theological, if you will, of the Gospels, and that mm -hmm. it makes the most... I mean, it begins with the establishment of Christ as it's the second create, person yeah. of the Trinity. Okay, so yeah. that, that's a wildly different approach to the same, same, to the same yeah, thing. Yeah. And so, uh, but I suppose the question that we're looking at is really, how do we interpret and apply the right. different portions of Scripture and distinguish cultural from universal application right. so well one of the things that i mean this is just by way of example and, and i'm probably being a, a mic hog and i don't, I don't mean no to be, you're good uh, i'll let you chime in here jesse i know has has some some good thoughts on this kind of stuff because he's my sunday school teacher and um, we, we've talked about stuff like this so I'll, i don't mean to do that but anyway um one and this is just example but i think it's one that's a pre prevalent question in our churches now um when Paul talks about um, um, not allowing uh, women to preach, yes. um, of course, you know that that falls on the heels of uh, an, that. Really, in context, uh, when he talks about women um, remaining silent, if you just look at the context of that, he's talking about spiritual gifts, specifically tongues, and uh -huh. basically. So, you know, my interpretation is that he's not really talking about preaching per se. He's talking about the, the gift of tongues uh, in context of First Corinthians there, and he says women just need to, so they don't need to be doing it, uh, which is so contrary to what we see going on in the churches around us. But anyway, <laughs> um, but he does talk about, and oh, is it Timothy? 
uh, somebody will correct me, where he talks about women preaching or pastoring yeah, or having authority. First Timothy. First Timothy, okay. Um, but even though that, that letter was written to Timothy in a culture and a time that was very patriarchal, there's men, you know, ran everything. Yeah. Okay? And women were not as esteemed. They weren't seen in, in many cultures. They were seen more as property uh, and so forth. So um, you could, you could, and what is commonly done today is say, well, you know, that was that culture, but we don't have that culture anymore. The problem with that argument is Paul goes on to base that on an eternal truth because he's, he doesn't say... Um, women shouldn't pastor because um, they're not qualified or not as smart or, or, or anything chauvinistic. Yeah. He doesn't say because, well, everybody knows, you know, men run things, uh, which might have changed now in our culture. He bases it on an eternal truth. And he says, because it was Eve who was first deceived. Now, has that changed in 2,000 years, that historical fact that Eve was the first deceived? It has not. No. Uh, nothing of the foundation yeah. of, of that statement has changed. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you can't make the, well, it's a different culture claim as and, to that. Yeah, and he, Paul, I just, ooh, sorry, I hit the table there. Paul has a, it goes even more foundational than that in his, his response. I just have, I have it pulled up here. Where he says, I do, uh, this is First Timothy 2, uh, starting with verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, if he had just left it at that, I could see why people would be inclined to think. Right, okay. right. Because there are lots of cultural things that are assumed by the scriptural author mm-hmm. that you have to do a little digging to get at. Yeah. But this is not one of them. He goes on, verse 13. For Adam was formed first. Then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. So, yeah, the basis it on a theological statement is going back to the order of, of creation. creation. Yeah, And the, his, his point is, of course, is not that men and women are different in value, but Adam was made directly... He, uh, what is the terminology? He was formed by God directly from the uh, from the dust of the earth, breathed in the breath of life. He's given the imago dei directly from man. Woman was formed, yeah. and she also bears the image of God derivatively. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make her lesser. That doesn't make the image of God less. It's just an order, and he did so deliberately because there's going to be a particular order of creation that he's. Uh, that he is establishing that that really communicates to function and role. It was not good for man to be alone. He designed for him, God designed for him, a helper. Yeah. Right, so, and, and just for all listeners, nobody at this table in any way believes in the superiority or higher value of, of men over women. That, no, quite the contrary, be, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, has, yeah. that has, to be, has to be clarified. Um, all of us as married men, we... we Shudder to think where we'd be without our wives, right? Uh, but the, but that doesn't change the intended order of creation. Uh, so God, man, woman, and then uh, in that hierarchical high hierarchy, not in terms of value, but just in uh, the the ordering of creation, you have 
who was then for mankind, both men and women, who was given unto them the beast of the field. Yeah. What happens in the fall? The beast of the field, the serpent, or Satan coming to them as a serpent, deceives and convinces and subverts woman. Woman then gives yeah. man. He takes and eats. He was there the whole time, by the way. Right? He, he was not unaware of what was happening. Um, and he knowingly and willingly and, and foolishly took and ate as well, subverting now man or woman uh, over in the hierarchy over man. And now you have, as a result of that, a rejection of the created order. Yeah. Uh, just in, in, in that right there. And you see the punishments, some of the punishments that come throughout that, where he goes on to say, it was like, well, now, now there's going to be strife, turmoil. Yeah, because you're going to want to rule over him. <laughs> well, it, And you're not going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And That is part of the punishment. Right, that is part of the pu- punishment. There's going to be strife in the understanding uh, for both, by the way. Women are going to, uh, at times, want to, uh, to rule over their husbands in a way that is not... Uh, right for them to do so and men are going to want to rule over their wives in ways that are unbiblical and in ways that they're right, not supposed right, to right. and and that's going to create us right, right because we've rejected the created order mm-hmm. in yeah. in that act alone and so the fact that he bases it on a theological grounding tells us okay this cannot be just a cultural statement right so yeah. that was written to the early church before the church and that, that principle still remains yeah um but there are other things that that might be arguably um cultural yeah you know and and some things in scripture um that was written to the early church has uh sort of almost lost its application or our understanding i'll just say it that way paul makes uh, a, a sort of enigmatic statement, I think, is it in Corinthians, Hayden, where, where he says that women should not pray with their heads uncovered on account of the angels. Which that would be referring... And nobody, you know, I've, I've, I've read so many explanations of that, and I have to admit, none of them satisfy. Yeah. Because I do not know exactly, I know that a covering of the head symbolized authority. Mm-hmm. And I, is it a temptation to the angels in some way? We don't, we don't fully know. But my point is, the Corinthians knew. Right. They would have known what he meant by that better than we do. So I'm, I'm hard-pressed to dogmatically, as, as a matter of biblical doctrine, say, women, when you come in to church to, to pray, you better be wearing a hat. Yeah. Okay? So th- that's an example of one a situation where you're like, I'm not even sure what theologically he he's getting at in its entirety and for me to build a doctrine and say well that this is what the bible means for the church today that would i, I would be on a far less secure foundation yeah. so there are there are places where um um you, you know there's there is some cultural shift that has happened uh, but i think the principles that we find in scripture are always eternal jesse if you if trying to not leave. No, you're, you, you, know, you guys are good. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about real quickly as we're talking about the subject is 
we want a biblical base when we're talking about scripture and scripture being written and how it's applied one thing we have to have is a biblical base of what scripture is i mean scripture in itself is biblically based it's the bible but what is it and i and you referred to john but i want to just take one second here read john chapter one uh verses one through five in talking about scripture in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with God, all things that were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and in life was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, we need to clarify that when we're talking about scripture, we're talking about the Bible, one thing is we, we are talking about and, and you guys have done a good job of alluding to it. This is the inspired word of God that cannot be contradicted. And you guys have talked about it. Direct revelation. We don't get to add to this. We're not apostles. We're not prophets. No. And, you know, we talked about, I think it may have come up in, in one of our podcasts already, but, you know, Paul says if, if anybody shows up, either adding or taking away from what's been given to you. Even if an, we or an angel of light comes and detracts or changes what we've given to you, um, let them be accursed. Yeah. And so, um, so I, you know, I, I don't know what, how people miss that verse when, you know, Joe Smith wanders out of the woods claiming that a couple of angels gave him some golden tablets and so forth. Um, why why didn't somebody immediately say well wait no that's that's accursed i mean paul specifically right. said even if some angels show up with something other or new or adding to or detracting from the work of christ and you know the faith once given um yeah that that that's not legit so but how do we uh when we make those cultural distinctions is is i think that's that's probably the biggest argument or I know, but argument that's probably the biggest issue right now facing the the modern church in in sense of everything you see going on around us um morally um, ethically and so forth is you you can make everything a well it's just a different culture and, yeah you know and so paul said this but he said that to a specific culture that for whom it was a problem to do these things but it's not a problem for us anymore um, but you know, what you end up there is, is, well, if you just get okay with sin, then sin becomes okay. Hmm. And you know, we can't, yeah, that's, that's just a, uh, you, you can't go down that road there. Our principle, um, our foundation has to be more sure than that. I would, uh, also make a, a broad statement about making the distinction between cultural and universal Commands, because I think that's probably what the question is concerned with. What commands of Scripture should we understand as as cultural or uh, universal? Because in the Old Testament, especially, m those commands are both cultural, and they are also many of them are also um, oh, what's the temporary? They terminate. Hmm. So, for instance, right, all of us in this room right now are wearing clothes made of different materials. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
and then this is right. These are your favorite passages from your um, Le- Leviticus, or yeah, uh, right, right. Law. We're looking at the uh, some of the uh, Levitical law. Uh, these are these are going to be your hastily memorized passages that often your your uh, atheist friend might try to bring up to try to catch you. Yeah, uh, or that we eat shellfish or pork. Okay, there was a reason. There, uh, and we don't have time to get into all of them. And we know that that, as part of the old covenant in Christ, right? We know that all, uh, all, for instance, all animals have been made clean. Uh, they're permissible for us to eat, which is more of a, a freedom that has been granted to the to the Jews, right? Uh, the Gentiles never had any restriction, right? <laughs> so um, there are some things that does the command terminate. Right, that, that's going to be a, a good question you have to look at. Is this command part of the Old Covenant such that it is no longer applicable given that the distinction between Jew and Gentile has been erased in Christ, that we are one in Christ, that we have been grafted on? Um, right. Read, read Galatians, where, where you had people trying to apply the standards of the Old Testament law mm-hmm. um, and by that, I don't mean the the Decalogue, right? The Ten Commandments that those those stand, those those definitely stand. Uh, but the, those other things that people typically think of, the the strange dietary restrictions and the like, does it terminate? Okay, if there is no clear and explicit reason to see why it terminates, can I then ask the next question? Does it find its fulfillment in Christ? So, the Sabbath, right? Now we we gather on. Sunday, the Lord's Day, mm-hmm. in observance of the Sabbath, partially as a um, small taste of the rest to come, right? the, that we have found rest in Christ, we have entered into the promised land in a way that this is where you get into the already but not yet coming of, of the kingdom of God. Yeah, Christ has come, the, the um, introduction of his kingdom has started, but it will not be complete until he establishes uh, fully his his kingdom and so we we find in observance of the sabbath for instance which was commanded in in the old testament but we find the new understanding of that in christ right and christ did this with all the commandments essentially right you look at uh, what it means to actually murder look at what it actually means to commit adultery so this tells us yes these things find their fulfillment in christ but less we do what, uh, uh, what what is called antinomian, or thus we become antinomian, which is the idea that there is no moral imperative on the on the Christian, which means no law, right? right? No, no law, law, right? Right. That oh, well, we have freedom in Christ, so um, there is no real moral imperative. Uh, that 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 is a heresy, right? That that is uh, it's called antinomianism. No, there are, there are moral expectations and commands. So it, does it find the fulfillment in Christ? Or so does it terminate in the Old Testament from the, from the transition from the Old to the New, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant? Does it find its completion in Christ? And then and this, is, this is the more difficult part. You can't, as Christians, we cannot be casual readers of Scripture. Yeah, very true. We, we, we can't be. A verse a day doesn't keep the devil away. Right, I, yeah. So you can't um, your 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 favorite devotion. Although I'm not knocking the use of devotions, right. um, they will not be a substitute yeah. 
for, and I don't mean just reading it, although you, you should do that, but I mean set aside time where you delve in and put in the work to actually mine the depths of Scripture. Yeah. Right, rereading the same passages and coming to the same conclusions is not mining the depths of Scripture. Not unhelpful, mm-hmm. not unhelpful, but it is not getting to uh, the, the the true depths of, of what it is, and that it's hard. And I'm not saying that you have to go off and get a seminary degree and become a, a, a PhD in, in biblical studies. But so how sometimes the distinction has to be made by putting in the work. Mm-hmm. How do I know if this is cultural? You're gonna, it, the, right, you're gonna have to practice some hermeneutics. You're gonna have to delve in and do word studies, find commentaries, find uh, those who have dedicated their time, and you have to be mindful of the source, right? But um, find those trustworthy sources that have put in a lot of that work for you. So we we live in such a, an extraordinary time, sitting on the heels of 1,800 years of church history. Mm-hmm. So much of the hard work has been done for us. So much of the hard work has been done for us, and and on a side note, I, I fear that as Protestants, in our zeal for Protestantism, we we needlessly try to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Right. No creed but the Bible. Well, you don't actually believe that. If what you mean by no creed but the Bible, you mean that's my highest authority. Yeah. But if you mean no creed but the Bible, but we don't need any other statement of faith, or for like a church, for instance. We don't need a statement of faith other than the Bible. <laughs> yes, you do. We, do. I, we should get back to creeds and statements of faith. Yes. We, we yeah. really, right. it would, it would, yeah, eliminate and a lot of things. Be, because the moment you say, what about the Bible? What does the Bible say about these things? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you, you're you in the business of biblical interpretation and hermeneutics. So, and we have to come to conclusions about these things. No creed but the Bible sounds nice up until you run across somebody who, using the same verse, comes to a radically different understanding. Okay, so so those clarifications have to be made. And the great benefit that we have, and I think just largely as Protestants, we need to remember 1,800 years of God's people of the church thinking, meditating, and writing on these matters. Yeah. And, and this is the really unpopular one. A lot of those people are Catholic. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're Catholic, but they're not Christian. Oh, right, right. Because, <laughs> you know, you can't be. Right, right. Well, well so, oh. and that's, right. So that kind of challenges a lot of our notions. About, so, so delve into that church history. Yeah. It is a rich, rich well uh, and wealth of, of information and insight uh, that, that, you, you don't you don't have to do all the heavy lifting yeah I mean uh, the the Lord has been working long before we got here and and we we can benefit from that uh, so the good news is that a lot of the hard work has been done but it's still incumbent upon you to go and find it and mm-hmm. and sometimes you have to answer how do I know if this is cultural well put in the work and make that determination uh, and and some of them are a little more difficult head coverings. There's disagreement about that. There mm-hmm. are denominations that the women do wear hats yep. yeah. or, or have some kind of head covering. Um, I think another popular one—actually, it's, it's in the same passage where, where Paul talks about uh, women teaching in church is not adorning themselves with jewelry, 
and braiding hair, you know, braided hair. Mm-hmm. Now you have to do a little bit of of uh, research to, f- to find this, but part of the reason is, at, uh, specifically in that area at that time, the adornment of jewelry and braided hair was uh, a very common practice uh, and communicated very particular things. Mm-hmm. Cultural, uh, th- uh, they just, there was an understanding that if you adorned yourself in this way, it communicated maybe it was an air of rebellion, maybe it was uh, um, other, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, other less innocent yeah. sounding things, right? <laughs> Women um, of particular vocations yes, would um, adorn themselves in certain right. ways. So, and, and that's the one of the things that you just have to be conscientious of is right. to whom is the author writing? What we're getting at, what, what, what you have to first establish was called authorial intent. What was the author thinking and to whom was he writing and why was he writing it? And there are some things that seem really random, Really random, unless mm-hmm. you're like, oh, he's writing in Corinth. And in Corinth, this was a common pagan practice that was very prominent for the, uh, and the early church members had a hard time fighting. And this was a, this particular type of struggle that they had. It just, uh, there are lots and lots of examples like that. Then one of you under, understand that the, the specific commands start to make sense. Mm-hmm. So when we have, a, if you are able to establish with, with pretty strong, uh, or, or with pretty strong evidence that, okay, this is a cultural issue. That doesn't mean that you can just then cut it out. The principle still applies, mm-hmm. right? The principle still applies. And and uh, you would just have to be very specific about what kinds of commands you're looking at. Um, right, so for, for, right, for the, the, the ladies not adorning themselves in this particular way, Right? If you're if you are a young lady and you're a listener, it's fine that you're braiding your hair. It's fine that you have pierced your ears. It, right? That that's that's not the issue because braiding your hair and piercing your ears, um, in our day and age, is not a communication of rebellion or otherwise. It is not a communication of uh, you are not failing in that act to set yourself apart as uh, as a member of God's family. Well, the other implication I, I hear in the question might be, and, and it, uh, again, the question was not um, super uh, specific, but um, you know, you get in the whole issue of um, if it's written to the early church, particularly um, the church in Acts, mm-hmm. uh, where we see all the miracles happening and the manifestations, uh, the sign gifts. Uh, you know, happening, um, is that for us? Because one of the things that we do is we can we can make the mistake of looking at what God was doing in the early church and say this is going to be normative for the church forever. And that that's a whole different podcast, probably. Right. Uh, whether you're uh, what would they call it, you know, cessationist. Or, right, uh, uh, continuationist or a sensa- cessationist. cessationist. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that, like I said, that'd be a whole podcast in itself. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be a good was, discussion to have, I think. I was going to bring up Acts like chapter 4 and 5 where it talks about the pooling of resources and stuff for the, for the, for the body. Yeah. And, you know, because that would be one thing that was written very specific about the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point that, you know, in chapter 5... Ananias and Sapphira are both struck dead 
for their lying about what they gave. Right. Uh, and stuff. So, you know, I was like, you know, we would at least, at least, you know, want yeah. to at least touch on that. You know, that's something that, you know, that was definitely written to the church about the church at that time. Right. And we know, I mean, <laughs> the truth of that is we know for a fact that there, that was a specific event in a specific time. And it's, and it's more or less limited to that because people aren't dropping dead at church every Sunday. I'm still here. Yeah. And I know <laughs> that people come to church and say, I tithe. No, you don't. You know, you, you don't. You're, you know, you're not even beginning to give right. uh, a lot of it. Now, that not at our church. We have a very generous church, and I'm not talking about any of you guys if you're in my church. <laughs> but I'm just saying generally in the church, you know there are people who pretend to give that don't give a fraction. Or pretend to give what, more than they yeah, actually do, which yeah. which was what Ananias and Sapphira did. Yeah, that's right. They, they gave. Did, and they actually gave a lot. Right, but they kept back but they and just, lied about it. It and, was the and, lying. That, yeah. yeah. And the truth is, it wasn't the problem that they didn't give everything. Right. That wasn't the issue. No, it was that they wanted to act like they did. Yeah, they, they and, claimed uh, they gave everything. Right. right. And so, you know, um, we we don't see that happening right. every, every, every um, Sunday. And that that particular passage is... is you know that's that's fodder for probably a, yet another podcast yeah, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> because that's a very interesting story. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know that we've hit everything that the question could possibly imply. Yeah, because it's a very broad question. But hopefully, at least we've addressed right. know, some yeah. ideas. Um, yeah, I guess if about, about yeah to, to to bullet point it, if you're thinking of specific commands and you're starting from the old again, see if it terminates. Finds if it continues on into the new covenant, in what capacity does it continue into the new covenant, and then begin to look for any given justifications, because we've given several examples of this is where a theological justification is given, yeah, and this is where a cultural justification is either given or implied, mm. and if it's implied or there's nothing written there at all, put in the elbow grease to determine, are is there a wider context? I think. The question of interpretation and uh, application. Oh, and by the way, if one of you guys have something else to jump in or something else to say, please feel free to jump in. I'm not trying to be a mic hog either. Um, You're, but <laughs> not trying to be. <laughs> Between the two of us, we're good at it. The um, uh, but with the question and this, I'm just gonna touch it and, and move on because I we we dare not jump into it. But with the question of revelation. The yeah. book of yeah. Revelation. But yeah, it's Revelation, singular. Yeah. The Revelation yeah. of hey, John. Yeah. Um, it's not Revelations. But, <clears throat> right, with the Revelation of John, I mean, that is undoubtedly the most confusing book for any Bible reader. Yeah. And has been for the better part of 500 years. So much so that the Reformers often said, I'm not touching this. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this, 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 there was great debate whether it would be in the canon at all. Right. That um, and James. Right. It's like both what, <laughs> barely made it. <laughs> what, you know, what do you do with Revelation? And certainly the question, how is it applicable then to us? And here you have the, a combination in Revelation. There are cultural things. Mm-hmm. In fact, the vast majority yeah, of it cultural, is a cultural thing. Right. But that does not mean it's not applicable to us in any way. So uh, that then that one requires a lot of work, and there are libraries worth of information and thoughts on the matter, and differing opinions on the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just 
just one one instance. You also uh, read, and, well, I, I, I digress. I said we, we, we touch it and it move on because that you know, we're the, chasing a lot of rabbits today, but well, that's that's fine. No, that's what we do here, yeah, right? We're the, it is. Uh, we're well, professional we're rabbit chasers. Rabbit chasers. <laughs> that's right. What about you? You got anything else, Jesse? No, that's really what I had today with, on this subject. Is you know. It's 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 a really hard and as as you've seen from our commentary, it's a really hard and we appreciate the challenge, but it's one that can spin in so many different directions um, that we hope we did a, a a decent job of answering it. Yeah, yeah. But as Hayden just you know, you're gonna have to you know because we don't do a twenty hour podcast, uh, you're gonna have to do some work on to you know what is cultural and what yeah. is. Uh, intended for the entire believing body throughout time mm-hmm. so. i think it got covered pretty good yeah. Every, i mean great insights from many different angles so if sorry to interrupt i just yeah, wanted to make good. one last clarification yeah. it's probably not <laughs> no no, no th- this is a genuine because i've just been i've been thinking about it no here. you meant one last oh yeah oh, right. yeah <laughs> it'll be a clarification i just doubt no. it's your last That's well no right. not well yeah <laughs> God willing, not my not my life, but uh, I wanted to revisit just out of concern for potential misunderstanding when we were speaking uh, in the passage uh, where Paul is addressing women in church and the the reasons given when we were discussing the ordering of creation, we were not, and we we're talking about the hierarchy there. Again, that is not a statement concerning spiritual value in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, and often, uh, even, unfortunately, in the church, historically, that has been used and abused mm-hmm. to justify things well beyond what its intended parameters were. Yeah. So Paul is giving this, in, uh, this, this command in terms of the church. As it applies to, this is seeing how this is how the family functions. That the man is to to lead. Yeah. And then there's a distinction to be made between lead and rule. But um, mm-hmm. right, uh, they don't necess- They're not a direct parallel. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, the man is to lead in home and in church. Yeah. This is not a statement. That can be, you can't use this to justify, well, this is why we shouldn't have women in leadership and government and politics. Ooh. Sometimes that's how it's been used. Mm-hmm. Scripture says nothing of the sorts, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there, there's, uh, th- this is specifically looking at how things are to function in the home and in the church. Yeah. Um, and and really even focus there in on the church. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, I just wanted to make those clarifications that we're not making vast statements concerning all structures in society we are just saying that in the church and in the home these this is how god in his wisdom yeah in his wisdom uh because notice in the in the in the fall if adam and eve had both been performing uh their their respective roles adequately the fall wouldn't have happened yeah where was adam to lead and protect eve Against the serpent. Mm -hmm. And then you can also ask the question, why was Eve traipsing around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anyway? 
Yeah, why is she even close to it? Yeah. <laughs> Do they even know what tree? Yeah. Right. I, I, so you, you just you, you see that there's already the inklings of a subversion of what the intended, in, in God's infinite wisdom, right. the way he established, this is how things are to function. Now, we ought to... Um, uh, but but I just want to make that clarification. That's yeah, all. I, yeah. I think, though, that, uh, by the way, what, what you're saying is, and what you're articulating is um, known as... Complementarianism. Complementarianism. That's what I was. That's the word I was looking for. Complementarianism, which I don't know if anybody's keeping notes. We ought. One of us ought to keep notes. I think. But anyway, which also might be a good podcast. Yeah. On the the issue of complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Right. Yeah. Just uh, in and of itself, that that topic would e- easily um, be worth talking about. You know, for an entire podcast because there's a lot of yeah, a lot of vacillation in there, a lot of differences of opinion, and a lot of misuse of scripture and uh, as as hayden's pointed out um abuse of scripture mm-hmm. um on both which, sides on of both the sides of that face, right yeah. which creates exactly. a huge mess oh who doesn't yes it does yes it I does i mean we're, we're we're i mean yeah society right. itself is uh i think is a uh, an example of the mess that it just misuse and abuse of scripture and everything else indeed has created but anyways um i hope we answered the question i they call it or the the there was no name but i hope that the question was answered as good as we possibly could and uh i should probably close it out yeah it's been two oh, hours thank thank but, you for your challenges yeah, thank, yeah, thank, thank, thank you, you for, for the questions, questions and keep and, uh, them coming yeah and if, if we don't know the answer um we will fake it well yeah <laughs> my my wife and kids got me a t-shirt one time said and it says dad knows everything and if he doesn't, he'll make up something that sounds <laughs> sounds pretty good. Yeah. Well. So, but you know, honestly, I, I would say our commitment to to our listeners and followers is if we don't know the answer, we'll just tell you we don't know the answer. We'll oh, yeah. talk about it for an hour though. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, <laughs> you know, create we'll, some we'll rabbit kick, holes and you know, stuff. You we'll, know, we're down. more than happy to jump in the struggle with you because yeah. we're all in this together to yeah. learn, and nobody knows all the answers. I don't think so. No. Yeah. We'll just tell you we don't know, but this is kind of <laughs> what we think. So. Yeah. And to the person who wrote that question, if you have a specific passage in yeah, mind, send it in. Send Send that yeah. in, and, yeah. and we can look yeah. at it and say, okay, well, in this specific situation. These then, are our thoughts. Right, yeah. right. Perfect. Sounds good. Well, right, catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.